0: Um, if you bring up the first slide, that'd be great. My name is Daniel Theobald, um, founder and CEO of Vecna Robotics. But the other hat I wear is found, co-founder and president of an organization called Mass Robotics. Uh, so, uh, Mass Robotics is one of the fastest-growing industry associations for modern um, modern robotics. Uh, it's based in the Boston area and uh, is doing a lot of really great work in, in this area. So I want to make sure to make you aware of that, and I'll, I'll mention it briefly again at the end. But if you're not familiar with Mass Robotics, uh, it's a great resource for everyone in this industry, customers, startups, investors, uh, end users, um, you name it. Lots, lots of opportunities to uh, really help move, move things forward in a... Uh, sort of pre-competitive collaboration type of way. So what I'm talking about today is based on research. Oh, thank you, that's helpful. (laughs) Is based on work and research that uh, we have done at Vecna Robotics over really the past couple of decades. Um, And uh, a lot of that work was funded originally by the US government. Uh, So I want to give credit where credit is due there. Um, And one of the big uh, areas of focus was solving some really, really hard real-time optimization problems. So just to set the stage, and you guys have heard this now probably for a couple of years, but uh, uh, we have incredibly unrealistic consumer demands to deal with now. Next day became two day became same day. Um, you know, we're now looking at you know, can you get things delivered from a local distrib- micro distribution facility to where you are in hours or even minutes potentially? Uh, absolutely unheard of, right? It used to be that uh, you know, you'd either go to the store or you'd get a serious catalog and um, you know, find something you like and maybe in a month you would you would get it shipped to you or shipped to the store. So um, this creates all kinds of challenges, of course, because not only is it "I want it uh, faster than ever before," but they want a much broader range of products than ever before. It would have been inconceivable to think about ordering a, you know, uh, tires online and having them delivered to your home, or mattresses or exercise bikes or kayaks these are the type of things that our customers are having to move every day in greater and greater and greater volumes because they are um, uh, you know basically becoming that distribution hub for everything not just the stuff that used to be traditionally um, bought uh, mail order or or online more recently Um, it goes big but it also goes small too you know Shipping costs being what they were and even what they are costs not price, perhaps in this case. Uh, no one would even conceive before of mail ordering a single s- um, you know stick of lipstick. Um, you know shipping clearly costs more than the item being shipped, but again, today in the on demand environment that we've created, people want to be able to go online and say, "Oh, I like that, and I want that right there and undoubtedly the supply chain cost is higher than the cost of the items being uh, delivered a lot of times. Now the hope of the industry as a whole is of course this comes out in the wash. But um, for those of us who have to deal with getting that stuff where it needs to be when it needs to be there, provides a whole host of uh, uh, additional challenges. So uh, more SKUs, small orders, Non-conveyables, higher throughput, etc. Um, and and all of this is happening in the context of an incredibly tight labor market. Some of our customers have shared with us that they have to deal with three hundred percent turnover of a significant portion of their staff. Right, every single year they're having to replace their entire staff three times. Um, continuity of operations. <laughs> Well, wow, this is really loud, sorry, continuity of operations alone becomes very difficult in that environment. So some of what I'm going to talk about also addresses that. How do you empower your workers, your staff to get more done than ever before, but also how do you make the job enjoyable enough that they're not looking to get out at the next available opportunity? So here's some big challenges that face the, face the industry. And here I'm really talking about you know, sort of the next generation, mobile robotics, et cetera. A lot of hype. And I think we're, we're turning a corner there. Um, you know, I was mentioning to somebody earlier that the amount of hype I see at this show around mobile robots is, is in some sense less than I saw last year. Um, because I think, I think we've turned a corner where we're starting to get enough adoption that uh, the hype has to give way to, to reality. Um, safety is a huge issue that, uh, unfortunately, oftentimes becomes uh, an afterthought. It doesn't get addressed early on enough in the process, and that can cause big problems. I'm gonna, I'm gonna switch to this mic, I think. Specifically for the, um, you know, if you look at the self-driving car industry, safety became a massive issue. It's one of those things where. In some sense, had they gotten ahead of it at the time, we might see self-driving cars on the road right now. But, um, you know, when it's, uh, when it's the Wild West and people are just trying to move fast, um, in a situation like that, it can really set the entire industry back. Well... Again, this is one of the years where we do have an advantage in the material handling industry, because we do have a legacy and a history of safety, which has provided, um, I think, a good framework to start to build from this. But very important that we don't leave safety as an afterthought, because that can really get in the way. Number three, robots coming to take my job. Um, that was a big problem last year. This year, I think people are starting to realize that, no, the jobs are not going away. Um, and Vecna Robotics in particular, we have had a very strong philosophy from day one that our job is to empower the worker. Our job is to empower that person to get more done than ever before and to enjoy it, to do it in a way that's healthy and sustainable. Um, so, you know, if, if the focus of a company is we're just going to replace workers, um, yeah, that's okay and that can make sense. But I would suggest. But there's a slight pivot, a slight tweak to that approach to think about empowering the workers, have them get more done, and then keep the ones that are really talented, keep the ones that are really going to provide value, that are going to add that extra um, commitment to the organization long term. If you look at human beings as just fungible resources, one's just as good as another, um, that's where we run into the you know, problems with really high turnover and that type of thing. And part of what uh, I'm going to talk to you about is allowing people to, what I might call, micro-specialize a little bit. Really exploiting the strengths of each worker in your system. Exploiting the strengths of everyone on the team. And we're fortunate now to have a bigger team. We've had workers, we've had equipment. Well, now we also have robots, mobile robots, Um, uh, uh, robot arms etc that can be part of the team but how do we really have that team win, how can they be as effective as possible, so this idea of micro specialization of different team members is a really important area Um, so and number four lack of interoperability, this is a huge one right now, if you think about where the computer industry was in the 70s um, I may be dating myself a little bit here but it used to be that if you were a Fortune 50 company, you would call up IBM. You'd say, IBM, we need uh, an HR system. They'd say, okay, um, we need a room about this size. They'd come in and they'd build a computer for you in sight because you couldn't just you know, carry it on a truck even, right? It had to be built in, uh, in situ. And then they'd bring in an army of software engineers to program your computer for you. Now, I know it's hard to believe... But the idea that a company other than IBM could write software for an IBM computer was absolutely revolutionary. Like This was heresy. No one, no one was thinking about this. No one, no one could even contemplate this idea. Why would, how could IBM ever guarantee the quality of their product if somebody else was writing the software? Well, we all know what happened. It wasn't until that industry got to the point where this amazing, crazy thing happened that Company X wrote software for Company Y's computer that the industry finally took off. That was the catalyst that made everything else happen. We saw the exact same, um, the exact same pattern in the cell phone industry, right? Two decades later, exact same thing happened in the cell phone industry. It was hardware, Right, the focus was hardware, just like it was with IBM. The focus was the hardware, the computer itself. The focus was the cell phone, right? This hardware and this network and this software that that company wrote that runs on the cell phone. Well, iOS, Android came along, and suddenly we just saw this absolute explosion in that industry. And that's great for the industry, but think about how it transformed our society in, in the good ways let 's ignore all the bad ways for one second. It has allowed us to accomplish things that were absolutely unheard of before, and we all take them for granted now I was just reminiscing with somebody um, just as we were walking across the street uh, uh, after the show yesterday um, about uh, you know how it used to be before you had cell phones and you could like you know just text people and meet up you know I, I was remembering a time when I went to meet somebody and they didn't show up and, you know, we're just looking around and we never managed to connect and it was not until like a week later, oh, hey, what happened? And um, Right? We take all this for granted now. The point being that that was all made possible by interoperability. Until we achieved interoperability, that type of growth of the industry is just not possible. So um, this is an area that's uh, really important. At Mass Robotics, the organization I mentioned, we're focused on creating no-nonsense, practical interoperability standards so that big companies can go out and buy robots from a variety of vendors, buy solutions from a variety of vendors with a a high level of confidence that they will plug and play together. This is something that does not exist today, but uh, is really vital for the organization, uh, for the um, industry to move forward uh, quickly and to drastically lower costs for everybody. Very important. So um, today's workflows, even with all the automation we're seeing here, we still tend to find a lot of inflexibility. What we mean by that is we tend to still be operating in a Henry Ford type of manner. We need an assembly line, and I'll use, I'll use manufacturing as an as a analog for all the other things because, of course, there's similar aspects in all of them. We think of it, things in assembly line mode. You know, We need to build, we need to engineer an assembly line to build this product. That's great when you can predict what's going to happen in the future with a level of certainty that justifies the expenditure of setting up that system in the first place. Now what we're seeing more and more and more of is customer may have very strong feeling about what's gonna be happening in the future, and they will set up a system. And just even, even in the recent past, I've had several conversations of, oh, well, we thought we were gonna be doing this at this facility, and now strategy's changing, and we're gonna do it at that facility. And we are so happy that we bought your mobile robots versus putting fixed infrastructure in, because we just put it on a truck, and moved it over to the new facility, and it's up and running the very next day. Right? Whole different paradigm. So if you, um, if you can predict the future perfectly, the old way of doing things is oftentimes the best way to do it. If you can't predict the future perfectly, you need to allow for flexibility. You need to allow for um, the... the that you need to account for the value of being able to change things quickly. So, um, you know, this is is really the upshot there. You can look at your process and say, hey, at this point in the process, um, we need to improve uh, throughput by this amount, and that will, you know, eliminate this as a bottleneck. But what we found is that uh, when you look at this in a real-time model of, What's going on in your plant, in your distribution center, in your, in your third-party logistics order fulfillment center today, at this moment in time, what's happening? You can go and, and say, oh, that process right there needs to be improved. But that might not actually be the bottleneck tomorrow. It might not be the bottleneck three minutes from now. Um, so it's really important to look at the system as a whole. You know, that it's the system stupid is really important message. Because again, uh, we, we oftentimes will come to a show like this and we're like, oh, I know I need to improve this piece of the problem. And I'm going to look for something here and I'm going to look for something there. And you can sort of piece these things together. But that global view can provide so many insights. So, you know, this is, this is how we've done things traditionally. Again, Henry Ford model. And, and these five buckets of activities tend to, um, you know, cover a wide range of the type of things that happen in these facilities. Um, you know, raw materials coming in one side, some product coming out the other side, and that product may be an order ship, you know, an order packed for a customer versus pallets coming in from manufacturers on the other end or whatever. But we tend to have uh, these, these five type of activities. So what if you had the ability to really adapt quickly to changing workflows? Uh, If if you don't build in a static path through this system, what you find now is that your productivity can go way up in terms of real world on the ground uh, um, activities on a day-to-day basis. So we were doing a project with a large shipper, and we went through various steps with them. And it was really fascinating because we, Vecna Robotics robots are, are really great at just going into an existing facility and working and providing value. You don't have to re-engineer everything, which is really great for adoption. And so the first step was they said, okay, bring in your robots. We're going to use your tuggers to augment our staff so that they can spend their time doing more value-add activities rather than sitting on a tugger driving across the facility. Um, and when we put the robots in, it provided a lot of value. Their, their damage to the facility dropped to almost zero. The damage to the equipment dropped almost zero. Um, the, uh, the reliability and, and throughput numbers went up. But they were still doing it the same way. They had basically just tried to replace the human in the existing process with the robot. Great, it worked. But when we said, hey, let's let our pivotal software real-time schedule when those robots are moving. And as soon as we did that, as soon as we allowed on-the-ground intelligence in real-time to start um, uh, managing, orchestrating some of the system, we saw an incredible 40% increase in throughput. We thought, wow, this is amazing. And we took the next step. We said, well, what if the Pivotal system uh, was allowed to also direct the staff? to help the, the workers know where could they provide the most value next. And when we did that, any guesses? Well, the number's up there on the screen. Two times throughput, which just blew everybody away. It blew me away, because you just don't think that those kind of gains are available. And This was with the exact same resources they already had on the ground. And that's where it comes back to that, that, that point. It's the system, stupid. That's where you have the opportunity for gains. We can we can automate these individual processes, and that will help. But when you look at the system as a whole, you unlock incredible potential to get so much more done with the resources that you've ar- that you're already paying for. So um, that that was pretty incredible, and uh, it. Uh, it really highlighted a point for me, and you know, this is, you know, when I was uh, at MIT and you do all of the system processing and, uh, um, uh, you know, um, trying to remember the name of the course, but uh, you know, where you're looking at systems and bottlenecks and all that kind of thing, it really brought that back to me and I said, you know what, it should have been obvious to me that that would be the result because when you have a big system, that bottleneck is just moving constantly. But it's still there, right? Just because you've optimized your overall system enough that you don't have one big obvious bottleneck, it doesn't mean you're getting anywhere close to the full throughput you could achieve with those same resources. And that's what Pivotal is all about is dynamically seeing where is that bottleneck? What is slowing us down? Not this year, not this month or week, but at this moment in time, where can I apply resources tactically and get things moving much faster. So 2X, real number. So, um, you know, this is really all about this idea of bringing in robots into the team versus trying to replace people with robots. Bring robots into the team and empower the staff. A big part of this is it really allows you to look at the system as a whole and to learn faster than ever. Um, one of the reasons for that is our, when our robots are out there in these facilities, they're constantly streaming up data to that server, to the Pivotal system. Um, what's going on right now? Well, you don't know if you if you don't have data coming in. So the robots are streaming in data and, and we recently um, have now launched Pivotal tracking where you can track every piece of equipment in your facility, manual, autonomous, and workers. Let's set aside you know, privacy concerns and union issues for one minute. Those things actually are not a, not a real big challenge here. We've worked through those. But um, it, again, it just unlocks huge, huge value. That data's streaming in. And now what happens is Pivotal can be like the grandmaster chess player. It's looking at the board. It sees where the pieces are. It's connected to your WMS, your order management system, your manufacturing execution system. It knows what needs to get done. It knows what resources it's got to get that work done, and it is able to do that real-time optimization. But that's right there in the moment. It goes further than that when you start saying, OK, now I've got all this data, and I've been learning what type of problems we're having, where the bottlenecks type would be. What type of activities a particular worker, we we tend to call them agents, whether it's a robot, a piece of manual equipment, or a human worker, we call them all agents. So maybe I'll just say that going forward. Um, What what strengths does this agent have? And this is that micro-optimization or or, um, micro-specialization I was talking about at the beginning you find over time that certain workers, even certain pieces of equipment, might be better at certain jobs than others. We all know that intuitively, right? You know, that's what a manager tries to do is leverage the strengths of each person on their team. But again, there's this huge value when you can do that at a much higher rate. And you can do it in a way that makes the job so much more enjoyable for the workers. So this idea of learning is incredibly important. And uh, you know I've kind of made this point a little bit, but um, really want to emphasize it because it's really important. This idea of lights out automation, right? That you won't have any humans involved at all. Bad idea. It's a good thought exercise. I think it's a really valuable thought exercise to go through that. But it's not compatible with the real world of flexibility. Things are changing so fast that lights out automation probably isn't the right goal. Unless you are building the exact same thing every single time, um, then yeah, you know, you can turn it into one big box and there's never gonna be a problem and everything will work perfectly. Elon Musk made that mistake. Um, You know, he, he thought that he could completely eliminate the human worker, that we could just have automation do everything. Automation is so last decade, humans are incredibly underrated. Because exception handling is a misnomer, right? They're not exceptions. As you all know, exceptions are the work. That's what's going on every day. Humans are incredible at problem solving, creativity, figuring out how to deal with something that's an edge case. So when you compare humans and robots and automation together effectively you win. So, and this is where this orchestration idea comes from. How do you orchestrate and optimize evolving, important point, right, the flexibility. You need to be future-proof, um, which I guess is the whole topic of this you know, talk, is you want to be future-proof. Well, you can be future-proof by building into your system today the ability to evolve and change and be flexible. Um, you're not locking yourself into any decisions.
1: Meet Pivotal, so I'll, I'll the world's let you watch first multi-agent minutes, AI-based orchestration engine. This industry-first approach to task coordination uses artificial intelligence to harmonize employee tasks alongside robots and machines or software. It distributes tasks to create the most efficient workflows possible and make sure they're performed successfully. How does Pivotal work? Pivotal constantly monitors resources—humans, robots, machines—allocating tasks based on what they do best in their availability. It monitors incoming work like an e-commerce order and anticipates future work to prepare agents for higher volumes and to use resources efficiently. Pivotal also adds flexibility in unexpected situations by anticipating problems that previously reduced or entirely paused workflows. It can immediately reroute robots during bottlenecks, reallocate tasks if a resource becomes unavailable, and even call for additional resources from another location to accommodate peaks. Pivotal is leading the way for long-term, sustainable competitive advantage by continuously upgrading algorithms and updating resources, strengthening your investment. With continuous learning, each robot shares event experiences with the entire fleet Pivotal uses this information to anticipate similar future occurrences. With AI, Pivotal is collecting data and reacting to events, making decisions autonomously to ensure tasks are always completed. Imagine your business empowered by a new competitive advantage that works for, adapts to, and evolves with your customers and end clients. Welcome to the flexible, orchestrated workflow of tomorrow, today. So
0: your first reaction may be, well, don't the WMS systems already do that? And the answer is no. Um, As a matter of fact, I recently had a a, uh, very in-depth conversation with one of the largest 3PLs in the world. And he just iterated again and again, I've been trying to get the WMS systems to do this for years. And they just haven't listened. They haven't heard it. Why? It's really hard. It is a really hard problem. NP-hard, any mathematicians in here? It's a really, really hard optimization problem Um, because you're taking a large number of variables and you're trying to figure out optimal matching, um, and, and these things are exponential, right? So the amount of compute power you need to calculate the optimal solution basically goes to infinity as the uh, number of agents and tasks increases. It's very similar um, to uh, a lot of optimization problems over the years, but um, what we did with a lot of government and taxpayer um, uh, investment, thank you very much, U.S. government and all of you taxpayers, um, but they said, hey, we need to solve this problem. This is a really important problem. And it comes down to doing some really creative, innovative things to try and solve that problem in real time. A problem that you know basically can't be solved with uh, almost infinite computing resources. Um, how do you actually take that problem and do it in real time? And basically what you do is you take some shortcuts, you make some assumptions, you got to do a lot of really difficult stuff um, to make it all work out. But what we get is in real time, near optimal results, near optimal. And so what you see when you do these type of mathematical analyses is you can get a a curve that approaches optimal. And so what you do is, this is where you invoke the 80-20 rule, right? How much computing time do I spend and how much optimality does that get me? Um, And, uh, um, you know, you've all heard the saying, perfection is the enemy of good enough. It's really important in this particular case because the system is evolving very quickly. There is new data becoming available every minute. And so you can't make a plan and then just say it's good. That's the whole point. What we do is something called iterative iterative, iterative plan repair. Can I, can, I, can I speak? Iterative plan repair. So you start out with a plan. Um, it's a good plan but it's based on the information that was available at that moment in time. And then it is constantly receiving new information and repairing the plan, fixing the plan, saying, okay, this plan was good, but now I know that Joe called in sick, and so I'm gonna fix the plan, taking that new data into account. So um, it it really uh, allows uh, a level of um, optimization that you just can't achieve any other way. So really hard problem to solve, Um, something that we've put a a number of uh, decades of research into now. So when you do this, it allows for this new hybrid model of work where the system can, in real time, effectively leverage the strengths of humans and robots um, uh, without having to make a priori assumptions or or trade-offs about that. Um, humans are really great at solving problems, exception handling. Robots are really great about not complaining. Um, you know, that's probably one of the biggest, biggest strengths, if you could break those two down. They'll do it, and they'll do it all day long, 24-7, without complaining, and humans can go in and solve the problems and, and keep things interesting. And what this really gives you is this adaptable future. Um, because when when you have an approach where you're on the leading edge, you're, your customers are demanding more and more of you all the time, you're never going to be at a place where you can just say, here's the process, and it's going to be all perfectly automated, and we're done. You're always going to be pushing the envelope. You can't push the envelope with automation first. You always push the envelope first with the human going in and figuring something out. So... Plan for that, build that into your system. Don't let that be a, okay, now we've got to go back at the end of the year and look at all this stuff again. That's too late. You want to build that process into your system from day one. So just some videos showing robots and a whole different range of robots and humans working together effectively. I want to leave some times for, time for questions. So, um, But, yeah, the, the order fulfillment stuff is really interesting because what we found as we've worked in these um, different models is there's so many different variables. There's a lot of religion out there about which approach is the best for order fulfillment, just to focus on that for a second. Which approach is the best? Is it goods to person, Akiva? style? Is it person to goods? Is it uh, zone picking? Is it um, whatever? And we did a lot of research on this. We did a lot of work with our simulation engine. Simulation is not actually explicitly mentioned here, but it's a really important part of the process. Let me divert for one second and talk about that. Once you've got all this data streaming in, what what the... what the Pivotal Optimization engine does is it forward simulates in time. It's got all of this information and it's got a mo- essentially it's created a model of your operations in the world. And it forward simulates and it tries, you know, 100,000 different plans. And that's how it figures out what is the best plan. So simulation is, is a really important piece. But what we did is we were simulating out um, numerous different uh, order fulfillment scenarios. Is there's not one right approach. A hybrid approach that can leverage the strengths of goods to person, person to goods, case picking, each picking, pallet picking, et cetera, really allows you to optimize both your storage and your throughput in in a way that's just not possible with sort of rigidly defined systems. So it's really, uh, I think, really exciting opportunities uh, there. Now, as a company, let me just shift to Vecna Robotics um, spe- specific for one second. We, um, we have focused uh, a lot on the bulk handling side of things today um, because we saw the biggest need in the market for that. But the exact same software that runs on our uh, tuggers and pallet jacks and forklifts runs on all of these different robots, all the way down to our RC20 that carries 20 kilograms uh, case or tote anywhere you want in the facility. Real advantage of that is they all work they can all work together. We have you know one robot can meet up with a different robot, hand stuff off um, a lot of really exciting uh, opportunities for, for optimization there. Um, but uh, you know because the larger platforms um, were just not the, there were just so many needs in the industry We've really focused on that and it's taken a lot of our bandwidth because we're now scaling up with all the largest players out there. The largest retailers, the largest shippers, manufacturers, uh, third-party logistics. Um, The ability to completely autonomously pick up a pallet, and by completely autonomously I mean no infrastructure, no markers. The pallet doesn't even have to be in the right place, it doesn't have to be the right orientation. As long as you can give the robot enough information to go to roughly the right place and, and know what it's supposed to find, it will basically look for it, make a plan to it, pick it up, take it where it needs to go, drop it off 100% autonomously, robustly, very, very high uptime and resilience. But all of the platforms have the ability to do these type of things. Um, so uh, it's, it's really exciting now when you start to take this whole tool set with the human worker as part of it and start to design systems that have all of these characteristics I was talking about. So um, uh, just a plug for the mass robotics interoperability standard here. Uh, we're doing this at Vecna Robotics. We're sort of pushing the envelope in terms of you know, having a wide range of platforms work together effectively. Vecna Robotics isn't going to be the only robotics company, obviously, as you can tell. As an industry, we need to work together. We need to um, give our customers the ability to buy robots uh, at automation from multiple companies and be able to plug and play. Mass Robotics uh, has a tremendous um, uh, um, position in the industry in that they're, they're becoming this convening uh, ecosystem of uh, interoperability, really. So how do we bring the... Um, my, I think I can say this publicly. Like FedEx was just talking to me about you know their going up to uh, Mass Robotics uh, in the coming weeks to really sit down and work on some of this stuff. Um, So I would encourage you, if you have uh, any interest in this area, to reach out to me and I can get you involved with the interoperability standard. And this is things about, you know, you don't need to reinvent the wheel with every new company you interact with. There's a lot of stuff that's all the same for all of these solutions and Let's, let's leverage that. The semiconductor industry, I think, is a really good example to us, in some, uh, an industry that we can learn from. The, the CEO of Intel at the time said, Moore's law is not a law. Everyone familiar with Moore's law? Every 18 months, you can um, jam 2x the amount of transistors on a piece of silicon. Um, and that was their prediction of, of growth uh, in computing capability for the industry. He said, there's no law about it. You know, this is not gravity. It was a goal. But as an industry, we worked together in pre-competitive collaboration to achieve that goal. And it allowed us to do things that, um, you know, in many ways would not have ever happened otherwise. So this is some of what we're trying to do with mass robotics for the mobile, not mobile robot, but for robotics and uh, connected devices, AI. Is, is that same thing. If we can work together as an industry to solve some of these common problems effectively, we all win. No question about that. So uh, here's my uh, conclusion slide, um, and, then, and then I'll just open it up for questions, and, um, or, or we'll give you some time back. Uh, really important to think about flexibility from day one. And, and unfortunately, a lot of times, in particularly large operations, that might not be what you're being asked to do, right? It might be that your you know, VP of supply chain or whatever has said, hey, go get a robot to take that from there to there, um, or whatever, or, or install a new conveyor. Um, so I think really powerful is if you can be a voice for flexibility, you've got to plan for flexibility, you've got to build flexibility in from day one, and then this idea of crawl, walk, run. I can't tell you how many times uh, large customers have gotten sucked in by huge overinflated promises, you know, and they, they, they slap down the contract or the signature for hundreds of millions sometimes of dollars in these new systems, and then it doesn't work. Um, crawl, walk, run whenever you can. Adopt incrementally. Get the system in, start learning. And that's another big part of it. Um, You can start learning today with a lot of these solutions. You don't have to wait 18 months to have that new massive ASRS system installed in your facility. You can get a lot of the benefit and most of the benefit um, and many times more benefit by taking a more incremental approach and learning quickly. Um, Empower workers with information. Information is the key, right? We haven't really taken advantage of information yet as much as we can in the material handling industry. Uh, You know, just reminding you back to that that, um, example at uh, a large shipper. Um, And if you can effectively use information in real time, your competitors will not be able to keep up with you. Uh, End of story there. So orchestrate and interoperability, those really kind of go together. Um, think about orchestration. Think about leveraging the, the skills, the talents, the abilities of each agent in your uh, ecosystem as effectively as possible. And support interoperability wherever possible. I would encourage you, if you are um, uh, technology buyers, to start thinking about, oh, it's not public yet, but soon will be. Um, start thinking about requiring the companies that you buy from to support appropriate standards. Um, it, it's a really uh, powerful way to move the industry forward because a lot of times companies aren't as proactive about this as we are. I mean, it's, you know, just part of the, the way they may be, and they may be perfectly good companies. But you need to exert pressure to have them play nicely in the industry as a whole. So think about that. Say, hey, you know, do you support interoperability standards with other technologies? And uh, I think that'll help move us forward in a big way. All right, that's it. Uh, any questions I can answer? All right. Well, if not, you feel free to come up and talk to me afterwards. And uh, hope you enjoy the show and travel safe.